we do have a Bible study, and I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. Sunday mornings, if you're visiting with us, we've been doing a verse-by-verse study in the book of Daniel. book of Daniel called uh, the most interesting book of all of the Bible, and it has been a fascinating study. I hope you've been blessed, and I hope that um, the Lord has really touched your heart as Daniel's having these visions. The first six chapters were, of course, were personal, uh, talking about the person of Daniel and just uh, how he was dedicated to the Lord, and the Lord showed himself strong on behalf of Daniel. And then the six chapters, chapter 6 through 12, speaking of the prophecies of Daniel, and that's where we find ourselves. As Father, this morning we we pray that um, as we open up the scriptures once again, that um, we would be settled in our seats, open our ears, soften our hearts to be a people that are teachable. Help us to remember to turn ringers off our phones. We wouldn't be free from distractions. And Lord, I also pray that as we go through this, as we see that there's a spiritual world out there, it's real. And Lord, um, there's a battle there. Lord, we fight not for victory. We fight from victory. But it reminds us how important it is that we are to set our hearts on you and on prayer. So there's application to be made. And I pray that we would do that and we would be attentive. And Lord, we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So last week, if, if you were with us, and, and as we finished chapter 9, that Daniel, in the ninth chapter, he had set his heart to pray because the 70 years of captivity were just about over. And Daniel, he had been reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. And as we look at the timeline here as Daniel is in the 6th century B.C., taken as a young teenager, 14, 15 years of age, off to Babylon to be serving King Nebuchadnezzar and serving in the affairs of Babylon in the palace, that God has Jeremiah also that is in Jerusalem during that time. 605 B.C., the 70 years of captivity begin. And Jeremiah is there warning Zedekiah, the king of Judah, not to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And we know that Ezekiel also would be in Babylon, and he is prophesying. So God has his people, his prophets that are there. And as Daniel was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, 70 years of the captivity, he knows at this point that as we looked at chapter 9 and also chapter 10, that the 70 years of captivity are just about over. So he sets his face to pray. He's seeking the Lord. And as he's doing that, he's interrupted by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel comes and says that Daniel had come to give you understanding uh, concerning your people who are the Jews and your holy city. And that's very important to remember and very specific told to us there in chapter 9. So Daniel, I'm not going to talk to you about 70 years But I am going to talk to you about 70 periods of seven years or 70 weeks. And we looked at that prophecy. It's one of the most amazing prophecies, one of the most, I think, important prophecies that we have in all of the Bible. Because it gives us a timeline of end time, what is going to take place. So the coming of the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, Daniel, know this. Concerning your people and your holy city, that there's going to come Messiah the prince and he's going to be cut off. So we looked at that timeline from the time that Nehemiah chapter 2, we see that uh, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, the king, gave Nehemiah the command, go back and rebuild the wall. 
go back and, and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. There'll be 69 weeks. And we looked at that, and you come to, as we uh, saw the works of Sir Robert Anderson and the uh, British Royal Observatory, you come to the time where Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And he would say at that time, as he wept over the city, that you didn't know the day of your visitation. Remarkable prophecy. But it's not 69 weeks. There's 70 weeks. There's still a seven-year period where God is dealing with Israel and with uh, Jerusalem. And we know that period to be called the tribulation period that is spoken of most specifically in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 through 19. Keep in mind also, as I reiterate this, that as you read the book of Daniel, that the church age is hidden in the book of Daniel. So as you have these prophecies, Daniel writing in the 6th century B.C. concerning these empires that come on the scene, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great, up until that time that we're going to read about even in this fourth vision that Daniel has of uh, you know, Antiochus or uh, Epiphanes, that Syrian king, uh, Antiochus uh, sometimes is pronounced that he's on the scene about 175 years before Jesus is born. And then after him comes the Romans. They destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And then the church age, there's 2,000 years, it is hidden. But there's still a seven-year period, the 70th week. There's still the revived Roman Empire. Remember the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2 and 7, speaking of those empires, and then it leaps to this revived Roman Empire where this little horn comes out of, and that is the one called the Antichrist. So very important timeline that is given to us, and it shows us very, very clearly that as even some embrace what is called the replacement theology, <clears throat> that the church you know, replaces Israel, uh, the church is Israel, that God's word says no that God is going to deal with Israel once again in those seven years. That's why they're back in the land. Ezekiel's prophecies tell us very specifically that they will come back. The vision of the dry bones coming together, they'll rebuild the ancient city. So it's quite remarkable as we've looked at this. Well, this last section of Daniel, we see that it's two years after Daniel received that important prophecy in chapter 9. And he would receive this last vision that covers chapters 10 through 12, and the vision, will, uh, we will see, is quite detailed and will cover the time from Cyrus, who came in and took over Babylon, up until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And chapter 10 will be an introduction to the vision. And what we're going to see here is some very interesting behind-the-scenes look at spiritual warfare. Daniel chapter 11, when we get there, through verse 35, is going to deal with prophecies of the near future that's already been fulfilled concerning Medo-Persian, concerning Alexander the Great, up until that Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes. And then when we get to verse 36 of chapter 11, it leaps into the future. And we're going to read here, even today in chapter 10, that this vision deals with the latter days. So it's going to leap to that time uh, and continue uh, through chapter 12, verse 4, pray, prophecy of the future that is in the last days. And then we'll see a final message and comfort to Daniel. So let's begin to look at all of this as we read in Daniel chapter 10, in verse 1, that in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel 
whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. And in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Verse 3 tells us that he ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So as we see that Daniel, once again in this chapter, he sets himself to pray. And Daniel here is seeking the Lord. He's doing it for three weeks. He's doing it with not only praying, but he's doing it with fasting as well. And again, to remind you, as most of you know, that fasting is a simple definition of fasting is denying the physical to concentrate on the spiritual. It is a time where you set yourself aside and you say, I'm going to focus on the spiritual things and not be distracted with the physical. Instead of thinking about how I'm going to fill my stomach, I'm going to set that time aside and I want to be able to concentrate and fill my heart with you, Lord, and with my mind with you. And verse 3 tells us that Daniel, for these three weeks, it was a partial fast. There's no pleasant food, no meat, no wine. Just for, for three weeks, he ate what he needed to really sustain himself. And fasting can take on different kinds of, <clears throat> of ways and, and forms. Um, that is, that perhaps it, it may be no food, uh, for a short time or a partial fast. I'll, I'll put away the, the ice cream, the Snicker bars, maybe the Big Macs and fries for a while. Fasting can take on various lengths of time. It could be for a day. It could be for a meal. That's the way usually people do that. Maybe all day. Yes. You know, maybe a partial fast over several days, whatever the case may be. But here we see that Daniel, it took place for three weeks or 21 days. And I want us to notice something that's important here that is worth considering. And that is that the state of Daniel's heart, he was mourning. He was troubled in his heart. Now, you would think that it would be a, a, a great time, a, a joyful time. Daniel would be feeling those kinds of things because the captivity is just about over that he would think that, hey, the 70 years are just about over. We've been through the worst of it, uh, and we are going to be going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. It's going to be Cyrus that would give that decree to rebuild the temple, and, and so it's a new beginning. They can go back to their inheritance, go back to their homeland. And when that happened, when Cyrus would give that decree in 536 B.C., that the book of Ezra, the Old Testament, tells us that just under about 50,000 would go back to Jerusalem. Now, you might think that that's a large number, but it really was a small percentage compared to how many stayed there in Babylon, stayed in Persia. They were settled there, and they didn't go back. And it was those who went back, it was very, very difficult. And we know that Jeremiah, as he was on the scene, when they first went into captivity, he's there addressing the false teachers in Jerusalem, the false leaders. When they first went into captivity, that there was the false teachers that were saying to the people and to the captives, don't worry. It's only going to be a couple years, and you'll be back. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go down. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Ezekiel when he's prophesying during this time, that he is informing us 
that the false leaders, the, the spiritual leaders and the civil leaders were saying, well, we have the temple. The temple, the temple, the temple. Nothing's going to happen to Jerusalem. They put their faith more in a building than they were in the Lord. So Jeremiah, who's a true prophet, the Lord comes to him, Jeremiah chapter 29, and says, I want you to write a letter and tell the people that as they're off in the captivity that they need to settle in. They need to have children. They need to live at peace. They're going to be there for a while. And I know my thoughts towards them, towards them they're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give them a future and a hope. Let them know that if they call on me, that I will hear them, that as they seek me, that they will find me if they seek me with all of their hearts. Because over the decades, over those 70 years, the people would begin to wonder, does the Lord even care about us? Does he have a plan for us? Do we have an inheritance? Are the promises true for us? And so Jeremiah wrote that letter. So 70 years passed by, and when they came out of Judah, they were an agricultural people. They worked the land. Uh, they grew crops. They were sheep herders, you know, uh, and that was the main um, background for most of the people. When they went to, to Babylon, they began to, they didn't have land. They were out of their inheritance. So they began to have businesses, and they were good at it, and they were settled in. And as they were doing well, they were comfortable. Most of the people said, we're just going to stay here. We're not going to go back to our inheritance. We're not going to go back to Judah, to the promised land. Uh, we're going to stay here. And I'm sure that that's one of the reasons while Daniel was just mourning. That's one of the reasons why that he's feeling heavy here, as well as some other reasons that we will talk about. But we continue in verse 4. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain uh, man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of upaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like uh, burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. In verse 7 we read, Daniel, as he says, I alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength, and yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face to the ground. So Daniel here is praying by the river, the Tigris. He sees this glorious man on the banks. Now here's where the debate comes in. Uh, some say that this glorious one is a theophany, uh, a Christophany is what theologians say. And what that means is simply an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And as we read the description of this glorious man, it is very similar to that of John's vision of Jesus in chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. John exiled to the island of Patmos. He sees the glorified Lord standing in the midst of seven lampstands, which are seven churches in Proconsular Asia. We know that it's Jesus because it tells us very clearly there. And I just want to remind you this, that Jesus stands in the midst of the church. He is the foundation of the church. He loves the church. 
The church is very important to Jesus. And matter of fact, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5, that we are told that as husbands we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. He cherishes us. We know that, that our wives are important to us, unconditional love. And so the church is very important because I want you to remind others that perhaps that you might talk to or run into, that they say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. Church isn't important. You know, I'm still, you know, saved. Well, you are. Going to church doesn't save you. It's faith in Jesus Christ. But you are being disobedient because the scripture tells us don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, especially as you see the day approaching. And we are seeing that day approaching when the Lord's going to come back. And Lord has us be a part of the church for our benefit and for our blessing. And so remember that. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are here. But just to encourage those who say, I don't need church, that you are missing out. You're missing out on blessing, on benefit that the Lord has for you. And tell them the importance of the church. So here, as you read this description that as you put it next to Revelation chapter 1, it's side by side. You have the same description. Uh, John chapter 1 here, Daniel chapter 10. John falls on his face as dead when he saw Jesus. And here, Daniel, he falls on his face. And that's what happens when you clearly see Jesus in his light. You realize how glorious he is, how righteous and holy that he is. And we realized how we come up short. Because that's what light does. It exposes, doesn't it? I was looking at my office this morning, even as we're in that time of the year where the sun's coming up. When I get here in the morning, and we have one window here in the church, and it's in my office facing east. And it's shining through, and I'm thinking, boy, I really need to dust my office. It's, there's a lot of dust that is here and on my desk and everything. But you know how it is. You can dust your house and then the light comes in, you see the dust particles in the light, and, and you see the spots that you miss. So that's what light does. It exposes. And when the light of Jesus Christ shines in our hearts, it really exposes those things that aren't right. Sin, carnality, selfishness, whatever it might be. And I'm so grateful that we have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. Amen? So light exposes, and, and here is Daniel. He sees the, this glorious man, the Lord, and he is just humbled before the Lord. Now, there are some who say that this is an angel of high rank, and they know when we continue reading here in verses 10 through 13 that this angel is, is going to um, need help, needs Michael's help, Michael the, the archangel. But I think, and, and a lot of scholars believe, that it, there's a change of personage there from what we just read to the angel that touches Daniel in the verses that we're going to read here in just a minute. But notice that I think, again, this is important, that as Daniel was with others, they didn't see the vision of this glorious man. They knew something was going on, and they ended up hiding themselves. They fled. For you who want to be like Daniel, who set your heart to pray and to seek the Lord. He begins to reveal himself to you. Understand that there may be others around you that they will hide themselves from you. They will flee from you. That they will say, uh, you're hearing from the Lord? 
as you begin to speak about those things, as the Lord is touching your heart, as you're drawing close to him, uh, they will begin to say, I don't want to be around you. And you find yourself that it does at times bring isolation. Many of you have experienced that in your own life, from family members, from old friends, uh, maybe people at work, because people think that you're just out of it. You're really focusing on the Lord and growing in the Lord. But also keep in mind this, that revelation as you're seeking him not only brings isolation, but also requires isolation. Verse 8. He's left alone when he saw this great vision. Revelation not only brings isolation, but further revelation. It is John the Apostle that was there on the island of Patmos. They isolated him. We're not talking that island there in the Mediterranean, Tahiti, Hawaii. We're talking about a rocky, barren place, and he's there alone. And all of a sudden, the angel shows up and says, John, I must show you things that must shortly come to pass. And he saw the Lord. We know that Moses, that he received revelation in, in the law when he was alone with the Lord up on the mountain of God. We know that David, that he would be out in the wilderness and those beautiful psalms that we have recorded for all of eternity, that David is there crying out to the Lord and the Lord begins to minister to him and he writes those words down and encourage us that in the time when we find ourselves in the wilderness and find ourselves alone, that the Lord does speak to us and he does minister to us. He brings comfort to you and to me. So oftentimes for further revelation, to know this, that there is those times where we need to get away and be quiet. And I want to encourage you knowing that, that I'm being redundant in this, but it's so important, a real key in our Christian lives is that you be one, that you have your devotion time, that you have that quiet time before the Lord, that you seek Him to be reading the word, to be praying. And I know we have busy lives. We, some of you have to get up very, very early or you work very, very late. But sometime during the day, at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day, whatever that might mean for you, that you have that time where you're seeking the Lord, that you are alone with him. And that as you do, you're going to see that the Lord's going to show up and begin to speak to you. So as we read this, continuing in verse 10, that suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees in the palms of my hand. Uh, now to those who believe the glorious man that Daniel saw was Jesus, they do see a change of personage here. Um, but be that as it may, you can look at it and, and, um, and, and look at it more closely if you desire. But here we do know that an angel touches Daniel. And we've talked about how angels are real. We see them in the book of Daniel. Uh, we see Gabriel, who was named, has showed up. Uh, we know that Michael, the archangel, is going to be named here, also in chapter 12. Uh, we see in the book of Revelation, you see angels all over the book of Revelation. And they are ministering spirits. They are real. We know that there's seraphims, there's cherubims. Uh, we know that um, it's interesting that Paul the Apostle, that he would write about angels when he was writing to the church of Corinth. He said to them when he was writing in chapter 11 about headship in order in the church, he says, remember, remember this, that the angels are watching. And that's a little interesting insert that he gives there in chapter 11. It's almost like he's saying that 
you know, there needs to be order, headship in the church because remember this, that those angels, they saw what happened in heaven when Satan and the others rebelled. Remember, they're watching. So they're here. They're all around us. We can't see them, but we do know that they're real. It was Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the king of Syria got very angry at him. So came with all these horses and chariots and, and came at him and surrounded the place where he was staying. His servant gets up early, goes out and sees this army of Syrians all around him. He runs back inside. He's full of fear. He says, the Syrians are here. And Elijah, you know, he's just going, Lord, open up his eyes. And the Lord opened up his eyes and there's all these fiery chariots and angels that were all around. We can't see the spiritual realm, but we do know that it's real. We know that even the writer of Hebrews tells us that don't forget to entertain strangers for some have entertained angels unknowingly. So perhaps that stranger that you entertain, perhaps, or maybe even the stranger that you've met at church, maybe they were an angel. Probably not, but you never know. So you have... The angelic realm that is very, very real all around us. And, and here in verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. trembling. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your word. So Daniel, when you began to pray some 21 days previously, the first day God heard you. And I want to encourage you in that. That Romans chapter 8 tells us that you and I have the spirit of adoption where we can cry out, Abba, Father. And only the believer in Jesus Christ can say that, that you're my Papa. You're my Abba. You're my Abba, Father. And in the scriptures, we are invited to pray to the Lord. Jesus said, pray, please pray, that your joy may be full. James tells us that if you lack wisdom, that we are to pray. So we're invited to pray, and the Lord desires for us to pray, and to know that as we seek him with all of our hearts, even as Jeremiah chapter 29, I made that reference, that he does hear us. And I think that perhaps some of you, that you need to be reminded of that. Because we can set our hearts to pray about certain things and we wonder, Lord, do you hear me? Are my prayers just hitting the ceiling or are you ignoring me? And again, as Daniel here is praying for 21 days, this angel's dispatched to give Daniel an answer. God heard your words and I have come because of your words. But first note that prayer to God means that first of all, this is really important that we humble ourselves to God. Daniel would humble himself to God wanting to be in line with God's will, knowing that it's an awesome, powerful God that he is praying to, the creator of all. And I really cringe when I hear the TV evangelist or pastor that is there praying and he's being all demanding and all arrogant and, and with that kind of tone and, and, you know, all of this, commanding the Lord. And, and we don't do that. Or when somebody's praying and they're praying what we know is not God's will. Lord, you know, help me in this area that is clearly sin. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, he will not hear us. So as we humble ourselves and come to him, and as we're desiring to, to really hear from him, 
that the prayer of the mature Christian is not my will, but your will be done. Knowing that you're sovereign God, that you are holy, that you're the creator of the universe, that you're almighty God, and you invite me to come as your child to pray, but the prayer of the mature Christian is that, Lord, whatever you have for me, your will, that, Lord, I trust you, and I'm going to rest in that. And as we read here, that, that here is... Um, this delay in this answer with Daniel. Verse 13, the reason, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Interesting. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to remind you at this time in our study, when you do pray, things do begin to happen in the spiritual realm. Daniel was praying in chapter 9, who comes and interrupts him as Gabriel uh, comes to give him understanding. Now, I don't believe that God sends an angel to us every time that we are praying and seek him. But in God answering us, it's wonderful when he answers yes, isn't it? When he says yes, he works right away. And, you know, we pray for healing. We pray for relief from this situation, a need, whatever it may be. And it's a glorious thing. But sometimes realize this, that he says no. And no is just as much of an answer as yes is. And I have looked back at my life, and there have been times where I prayed, Lord, I really want this, and I, I desire this. He said no. And now, as I look back at it, I'm so grateful that he said no. Because that would not have been good for me. He had something better. And he will freely give us all things that are good. And if he doesn't give us something, then it's not good for us. If he says no, just as parents, how many times as parents do you tell your kids no when they ask for something? You can't have this. No, um, because we know it will harm them. It's not good for them. So no is just as much as an answer. And I want to remind you of that because I've heard people even that say that if God doesn't answer a prayer, you know, you know, if he doesn't heal this person or do this thing, he, he's not answering. Yeah, sometimes he says no. And we need to just rest in that when he does. But sometimes he says wait. And knowing that God's delays are not his denials. Will you remember that? And in our lives, we need to learn to wait on the Lord. We know that Isaiah chapter 30 says that as we go to him and as we wait on him, then the time's going to come that we will hear from him. And we live in such an instant world where we want to hear from the Lord. You know, we want answers right away. Kind of like, you know, we have instant communication. When we go to Starbucks, we go to McDonald's, we want our food right away. And we can carry that into our spiritual lives. And the Lord desires for us to wait on him. And we read about that in the scriptures. And in that time we're waiting on him is, you know, we can trust him. And not only trust him, here's the hard part. Rest in him. Just resting that you're working, Lord. And there are things in my life that I've been praying for that I'm still waiting on the Lord. And I know that it can be hard and difficult, but I've come to understand this. That, Lord, as I wait on you, I know you still love me and you hear me. And you're going to work in my life in eternity's perspective. And I can just rest in that. And some of you are here this morning and you're waiting on the Lord on something that you've been praying about. To know that his delays are not his denials, that he's still working. 
So as we see this, we continue reading again in verse 13, the, Michael the archangel. We know that there's a spiritual dimension out there. Ephesians tells us we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, ruler, spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and just as there are ministering spirits, angels, there are demonic spirits as well. And Satan, of course, is the leader of those demons and has them organized. And what is interesting here, it seems to indicate that there's demons over countries. The, the prince of Persia. He's going to talk about the prince of Greece. And even today, Persia is Iran. When you look at it, and it's, we don't have time to go into it, you see the demonic realm that is there heavily influencing the leaders of Iran, wanting to destroy Israel, wanting to destroy the United States, waiting for the you know, caliphate to happen. And it's going to happen by mass destruction and ushering in the Islamic uh, Messiah, the 12th Iman. All that you can do a study on, and we've talked about in Prophecies Updates. But, but there seems to be demons over areas. He has them organized, principalities and power and spiritual wickedness in high places. And there are demons working in our own country. And we know that to be true. There's a spiritual dimension out there that we don't fully understand, but it is there. And as we continue reading verse 14, now I come to make you understand what will happen in your people in the latter days. So this vision is going to deal with the last days. Vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of sons of men touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. So here is um, you know, Daniel finding himself weak again, and he's overwhelmed. Because when we get to chapter 11 and 12, the vision is, is going to detail again what's going to happen to Israel before the coming of the Lord. And it's very, very heavy. Detailed prophecy given to us in chapter 11 that's unparalleled in Scripture. I believe there's 135 prophecies that are in chapter 11 alone that we're going to be looking at. That's going to deal, it's going to actually read like a soap opera. And many of it's come to pass, and then it's going to leap to the future and begin to speak about the last days and the Antichrist. But verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Michael, we're going to see in chapter 12. Again, it seems like he's always in conflict. Revelation chapter 12, he actually battles in the middle of the tribulation period with Satan and a third of the stars that have fallen. And he cast them down out of heaven into earth. We, we read that. Um, but Michael um, is always in conflict, the spiritual warfare that's going on. Daniel hears that, and, and he's weakened once again. And he's overwhelmed. Listen, I want to end with this. As I see the things going on around in our nation, in our community, you know, even this week I felt overwhelmed. As we see the violence 
the darkness, the things that are taking place. We, we, we get weak and, and it overwhelms us. We get concerned. I know that you're feeling it too. And the Lord would say to you and to me, even as he said to Daniel, be strong. Be strong of good courage. Even as Joshua was told at the end of chapter 1 as the people came and said, Joshua, we need you to be strong. And so parents and, and those of you who, who are here, there are those, your children, your grandchildren, people linked to you in your life, family members, friends, they need you to be strong and do the example that Daniel does here and keep praying. Keep praying for them because the enemy Satan is working overtime against our kids, against our grandkids, against our community, against our nation. And we are to pray, to continue to pray, to be strengthened as we give truth, the scripture of truth is mentioned here, and as we pray and as we give the gospel, that is the hope for any nation, any community, any family, any individual. And you know that to be true. Put on the whole armor of God, folks. Be watchful, be vigilant, because your enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you don't have your whole armor of God on, he's going to pounce on you. If you go into his territory and you start playing around with sin and carnality, stay close to the Lord, be seeking him, be a man or woman of prayer, and don't stop praying. Because as you do, your prayers are going to be heard. So, Father, we thank you. There's so much more that we could have covered here. But Lord, uh, we end this study with a reminder of the importance of seeking you, being in prayer, praying for our children, our grandchildren, our family members, our friends, our community, our nation. And Lord, we know that there are the demonic forces that are at work. Even as Paul would write that in the last days it will be perilous times, borrowing that word from Matthew chapter 8, speaking of the demoniacs of, of Gadara, fierce and violence, we see it. It concerns us. And Lord, the darkness getting darker, the depravity, all of that. And Lord, we pray. We pray for our nation, for a spiritual awakening. We pray for our community. We pray for our own families and hearts, our children. Lord, that you know our needs and our concerns. That, Lord, that you would draw us to you. There be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and strength given to us in the days in which we are living in. Because you are our hope, our salvation. And I want to pray for anyone who is here that you've never come to Christ for salvation, that he invites you to come even this morning. That Jesus Christ went to the cross and having, as Colossians 2, wiped out the handwriting of requirements, he has stripped away the authority of Satan when it comes to sin and death. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But you come to Christ who gave us victory at the cross. He is your salvation to call out to him, to turn away from sin and carnality in the world and turn to Christ and recognize your need for him. You can do that right now. He loves you so much, and this world's going to come to a disastrous end. But there is a kingdom that's going to be established forever. That is the kingdom of God. 
And those of us who have Jesus as Lord and Savior will be a part of that kingdom. You have forgiveness and a new heart and a new beginning. Call on the name of the Lord right now if you haven't done that. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again and you're alive and you are Lord. And I ask that you be my Lord and Savior to sit upon the throne of my life. And I do want to know you and walk with you and draw close to you. And I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And for all of us that we would continue staying close to you, Lord, knowing you, being strengthened by you in every way. So Lord, May we engage in the spiritual battle, putting on the whole armor of God, being men and women of prayer and men and women of the word of God, standing for righteousness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have a prayer team that is going to be coming forth. And if you made a decision for the Lord or you need prayer, we're going to encourage you to come up and receive prayer. And God bless you as you go your way on my hand.